Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast is dedicated in loving memory of Adele and Victor Azrak. Alava Shalom, Matem, Yeshua Ben Reina, Alava Shalom, and Adele Bat Farida, Alava Shalom, sponsored by their son Marvin Azrak. And as well, uh, it is Lilui Nishmat Israel, uh, Israel Kohen, who passed away yesterday. Um, Israel Kohen Ben Abraham, our dear friend. Uh, from London, who's uh, survived by Diana, Avi, Dali, and Moshe. Of course, we wish you the most uh, incredible Nechama. Rabotai, the Torah tells us a fascinating, interesting law. These are the rules, these are the guidelines, and these are the laws of the Jewish people. And it begins by telling us a very arcane and obtuse sense of set of laws. It tells us about a servant, an Eved Ivri, a servant who is, uh, who is Jewish, who serves his master for six years. After serving the master for six years, what does he do? He, uh, he goes free, it says. But he goes free in a proceeding which is particularly macabre. It's like very uh, graphic. It's almost uh, uh, a f- an interesting kind of development. How does he go free? The master brings him close to the door. Right? And he takes an awl and he pierces his ear into the doorpost on the door frame. And the rabbis explain to us why is it that his ear is pierced after six years when he, uh, when he, uh, when, if he decides to stay a slave. Because the Pasuk says, the Gemara says, excuse me, Ozen, the ear that heard at Har Sinai, Ki li Yisrael avadim. to me the Jewish people are servants. Velo avadim la avadim, and not servants to servants. Right? That ear that should have heard that message, why is he choosing to remain in the service of another human being? Which now, by definition, that will preclude him from doing maybe other mitzvot, getting up to other things. He has a master that's telling him what to do. So Rabotai, in such an instance, what is someone, uh, what, what, why is this mitzvah given in this manner? And I want to uh, drive home one point specifically. One of my favorite ideas from Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the head and the chief of the Musa movement. He said, what's interesting is, I get that this man maybe symbolically needs to have his ear pierced so that it can be said, it can be shown both to him and to others that there was a lesson that he needed to learn, that he needed to hear, that clearly he did not hear. But Rabotai, what is the place and what is the position of the master in such a proceeding. The master didn't choose anything. He brought this guy in. If anything, Rabotai, if anything, he was a good man. He brought this man into his home. What did he do? Why is he obligated? Now, let's say, as an example, the guy decides, I want to stay. But the master, he can't see blood. Everybody knows someone like that. They see a needle. They see blood. They faint. I still remember once I met a medical student. Uh, two years into medical school, school she told me, she, uh, she asked to decide if she's going to continue medical school. I said, why? She said, as soon as I see blood, I faint. I was like, and you didn't think that that might be a problem in the medical profession? <laughs> right? Maybe that, you didn't notice that that might present challenges. Okay? Right? Either way, the point is, Rabotai, certain people, they see blood on the spot, boom, they faint. What if the master of this servant is such a person? Is he absolved from being the one who penetrates the ear with the all of the servant. No, he's not. He has its obligation. Why? Why would that be? The bottom of the ear, not the top. 
Okay? It's easy. Rabotai, why would that be? And Rabbi Yisrael Salanta answered something amazing. Let's go back for one second to understand the nature of this slavery. Why is this slavery? Why does it exist? Why is this person working as a slave in the first place? There's two reasons that are brought down by the Gemara why a person like this would be a slave. One reason is because he stole some money. He doesn't have enough to pay it back. So you remember in the old days, if you ate dinner and you couldn't pay it off, what'd they tell you? Go wash the dishes in the kitchen. Work off your debt. Work off your meal. Sing for your supper. Whatever it might be. You need to now pay, you need to pay back for what you, uh, for what you took. Rabutai, this is no different. If the person has a debt that he can't pay, the bad dean says, you have no money, no problem. Go work for this guy until you have enough money to pay off. If a person has enough money to buy his way out, he could buy his way out after a week. No problem, he doesn't have to stay there, okay? So this person is a thief. Who in their right mind wants to invite a thief into their home? Can I ask you, imagine you get a resume for a cleaning lady. It says, what are your particular skills? Her skills are vacuuming, uh, making omelets, hushing all your items, right? Five-finger discount. You're going to hire this G? No way, not in a million years. Right? She's telling you on the resume, it says that she's, she's, a, she's a ganav. We, we know that this guy is a slave, is a thief. Why would anyone bring him into their house? And the answer is, Rabotai, that this is not a decision that was made because someone wanted good help around the house. It was a decision they made because they wanted to help, not because they needed help. Because they saw, as Judaism teaches, that everything is about giving second chances. Letting people who have made a mistake rehabilitate themselves. If this guy, if he sees a role model in his home, if he sees someone get up in the morning, every morning, six o'clock, go pray, study the dafyomi, then be at his office, at his desk by eight, eight o'clock in the morning, comes back home, 7 p.m. You see he's worked his, his, you know, his, uh, his tail off the whole day. Then the door, not, people knocking on the door, collecting tzedakah. The guy sees someone who lives the upright life. What's going to happen to him eventually? He's going to learn. And eventually he's going to yearn to be able to live a life like that for himself. When someone sees someone like that, what happens to them? They think to themselves, I also want that. Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. What that means is that every man that welcomed someone into their house, like this is a sadiq. However, if a person could live in your home for six years, says Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, and at the end of six years in your home, he has not developed the drive to go out and make it for himself. He doesn't want to go out and take a risk on himself. He doesn't want to go out and build his own business or start a new project, or go get a new job, but it's good enough for him to clean your house. It's good enough for him to sleep in your home, eat your food, be dependent on you. You haven't given him the feeling of independence, of can-do attitude. If he didn't learn that in your home, it's your home that's broken. So not only does he need to get his ear pierced, you need to be a part of the proceedings. Because you're the one that didn't manage to get through to him. And perhaps, worse still, that you didn't manage to turn a convict 
is the inevitable truth that means that your children also probably will not have received the message in its proper, uh, in its proper context and with its proper power. So therefore the person needs to get involved as well. Rabotai, this idea of the second chance is not limited to a convict, to a person who's done something wrong. But it's, it expands to other things and other venues as well. The Pasuk says, Virapo yirape. Says the Gemara, Mikan nitan rishut larofe lirapot. From here we learn that every doctor was given permission to heal. Now I want to share with you what this means. It would seem that if a person was thinking about uh, going to a doctor from a purely religious perspective, what might they say to themselves? They might say to themselves, you know what, if this is what God wants, who am I to change God's decree? So maybe if God forbid a person is ill, maybe they should just suffer in silence. If this is what Hashem wants, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to get sick. Who said I'm going to have the right to change it? Who says I have the right to meddle in God's plans? The Pasuk tells you a person that says that is a quack. From here, a doctor was given permission. I still remember once, by the way, when I was a young child, I went to a doctor's office, and the doctor, before he checked my pulse, before he listened to my heart, before he listened to the case, he started off by saying a prayer. And he ended off the prayer by saying, that all healing is in the hands of God. I never, I said, what was that? He says, I'm a doctor. I went to medical school, I did very well. He says, but no one knows better than we in the medical profession, that when you think you've solved someone's issues, and then you know what happens, the guy develops another issue. You think you cured one thing, and what'd you do? You actually broke something else. He says, who knows better than me that we do not have the answers? Who knows better than me that if God wants, people make miraculous recoveries. And who knows better than me that even when I think sometimes the guy has no chance, he rebounds. There was a, a, a woman who happened to be the sister of the Vilna Gaon. She goes to the Vilna Gaon, she's suffering, her son is not well. And she goes to the rabbi and she says, Rabbi, please, I need you to pray for my son. The rabbi prays and prays and prays. And at the end he says to her, with absolute clarity and conviction, he says, don't worry, go home, take care of your son. Your son is going to be fine. The sister says to the Gaon Vilna, she says, Rabbi, you say that, but how can I believe you? The doctor told me that the situation is hopeless. The Vilna Gaon smiled at his sister. He said, the Gemara says, which means, from here was given to a doctor permission to heal. A doctor only has permission to heal. A doctor has no permission to write someone off. In Judaism, we believe in second chances. We believe in second chances medically. We believe in second chances for people who've committed crimes. That is the essence of Teshuvah. We believe in second chances for people who are having a rough time or a rough patch. What Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was teaching us in such a powerful way is that it is the job of the owner of the house to have the house permeate, reverberate with that idea. You fell, who cares? Don't give up. You made a mistake, who cares? 
You failed the exam, who cares? Bounce back, study harder. You're going to fix this. You're going to make this work. I want you to understand the power of teaching your children this idea. Not that you're going to be perfect. Kids that want to be perfect grow up with a terrible anxiety, with a terrible nervous system. And you know what? Those are the kids that when they start running a race and they see that the other kid is running in front of them, what do they say? This race is stupid. I'm not playing. And by the way, that kid that says it on the playground when he's three says it when he's married and 25. This marriage is stupid. I'm not playing. They say it to their children when they fight with their kids. This kid is stupid. I'm not raising him. We need to learn the power of second chances that someone who suffered once, who made a mistake once, is not bound by that mistake for the rest of their lives. They are capable of writing a new script and of turning it around. That's what we're learning from this idea. Rabotai, I think as well that maybe that is the reason why we start with such a strange mitzvah. These are the rules. These are the laws. Now you'd think you'd start with a message or with an idea or with a law that was perhaps a little bit more uh, relevant or a little bit more law-oriented. You have to tell me, teach me, first law you want to teach me is a law about the Hebrew slave? And the answer is yes. Because one of the biggest challenges to the law, who are the people who break the law the most? The people who break the law the most. Now that sounds crazy. But if you think about it, what it means is, I don't mean to say something which is that obvious. I don't mean the people who break the law the most, break the law the most. I mean the people who in their past broke the law the most are the ones in the future who will continue to break the law the most. Why? Because in their minds there's this idea, this self-concept that I'm useless and this is how I live and this is who I am and don't talk to me. This is what it's like to be from the inner city. This is who I am. This is who we are. This recidivism, the idea that people who are in, who are in prisons will forever live their life in prisons is what? is what this pasuk is coming to refute. So if you want to institute a set of laws, we start by telling the people who are its most frequent offenders. We start by telling them, even you could keep it. Never mind Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Even you could keep it. We have amongst us Rabbi Friedman who shares with us words of Torah every Friday. But I get a text every once in a while and he tells me, Rabbi, I can't, I can't give a class today. I have to leave early today because I'm going to visit people in the prisons. What is he going for? He's going to learn with someone, to give them chizuk, to be a chaplain. Judaism never gives up hope on anybody. On anybody. In any situation. The most hopeless person is someone that Judaism believes in. Even the very first murderer, Cain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, Why? Why are you so upset? Why are you, why are you so angry? If you, if you decide to get better, you will be uplifted. I want you to hear the power of that. This is the first, the first family. And is there a greater crime in the world, right, than fratricide, killing your own brother? You'd think that something like that, there's no coming back from. And God says to the first family, to the first brother, to the first person who was jealous, 
to the first person who didn't bring a good enough korban, to the first fight in business. That's what it was. They were jealous of each other's portion. God says to the first jealous person, God says, Imtetiv said, you have the choice to turn this around. Just recognize that there's never a time where you can't make your life better. And that is a lesson that we need to have our houses pulsating with, our yeshivas pulsating with. They're doing study after study to ascertain why it is that kids are leaving the fold. Kids are walking away from yeshiva. Kids are walking away from religion. And part of the reason is, they say, because the road, they say, what is the road? In Hebrew, they call it, they're off the derech. You know what that means, off the derech? Off the derech means they left the path. The, the, re- the reason why they left the derech is because the derech has become so narrow that it's impossible to stay on. It's a tiny path along the side of a cliff, and if you step off it once, they think, and the system is built in a way that there's no coming back. You made one mistake, you did one thing wrong, you didn't live up exactly to the thing, you wore the wrong clothes, you did the wrong thing, suddenly the guy's written out of the Jewish community, written out of the story of a family, written out of a school. That's what off the derech means. It's so narrow, it's so hard to stay on that there's almost no coming back from it. So Rabotai, we need to expand our lexicon. We need to expand our acceptance. And through that process, not only will we keep people on, now we take this little path and turn it into a multi-lane highway, but we will allow for people to make mistakes and still believe that they can rectify it and live the most beautiful lives. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve